And notice, as and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, we inaccurately judge when we think that any sickness or malady or even a calamity that someone goes through is the direct of or the direct result of sin. Every creature is unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The disciples regarded this man as an unsolved riddle. They showed no interest in helping the man, but in discussing the cause of his blindness. We often suspect that where there is a more than ordinary sufferer, there is a more than ordinary sin. The disciples believed this so much that they wondered if this man had actually sinned before he was born, causing his blindness. In their thinking about divine retribution, they had not advanced far beyond the position of Job's friends. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 9 in the Gospel of John. All right. Let's open our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 9. And let's just read down through uh, verse 7 this morning, and then we're going to, Lord willing, get through the uh, entire chapter, and we'll take communion together this morning. You recall that Jesus... In chapter 8, we looked at him going to the uh, Temple Mount, and he shared and exclaimed that he was the and is the light of the world. And the confrontation that that brought with the scribes and the Pharisees who didn't believe in him, they struggled with him, and they were jealous of him because you recall back in uh, the fifth chapter, Jesus, when he was there, he healed a, a paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. And that had never been done before. This kind of healing was unknown. And certainly the scribes and the Pharisees didn't have the power or the strength to heal anybody. And so when this comes to pass and they find that Jesus is the, the cause of all the commotion and all the healing, rather than being happy and, and rejoicing that a son and a, a, a had come to wholeness in his legs and his body again. Rather than be excited about that, they were angry and jealous with him and sought rather to destroy him. And such is true today, isn't it? Whenever somebody claims to be on the Lord's side, there is always a, a stick that's chasing them. And, and this is just par for the course for being a Christian. In fact, it's the cost of discipleship. And that's the title of this morning's message is The Cost 
of discipleship. The cost that there is to us, and it's a very small cost if you really consider it in light of everything else. If you consider what Jesus has done for us and the great things that he has done, and the great, thing that he's, great things that he's yet to do, when you consider all these things, is it any great thing that we just give our hearts and lives completely to him? It almost seems like an imbalance, and it certainly is, because how could we balance the scales? We, we cannot, and neither should we attempt to, because anything that we do that somehow we can earn our salvation or earn this great heritage that we have, anything that that is is blasphemy, <laughs> because there's none good. And we know this. We know this in our hearts. So Jesus, you recall in the very last uh, few verses, well, let's just read the first seven verses. It says, As Jesus passed by, remember he was on the Temple Mount, he saw a man who was blind, noticed from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And notice, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Now go, here's the commandment for the man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. He came back seeing. And isn't that a wonderful thing, <laughs> to receive your sight? And, um, and this miracle that we're looking at this morning is just one of seven. You remember, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've been looking at these. This is the seventh miracle, or the seventh sign that Jesus did in the Gospels, or in the Gospel of John specifically. The one prior to this was... Uh, Jesus walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. We looked at that already, but this is the, set, the sixth one of the seven, and it's the healing of this blind man in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And so now notice uh, in the first verse there, it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw the man blind from birth. And as I stated, he was already on the Temple Mount, where this occurred. And remember, he was just leaving the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember what he said to them. If you just back up to the last few verses of the 8th chapter, what did Jesus say to him? He says, Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. And we looked at the significance of that phrase, I am. And then they took up stones to throw at him. But notice Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. I mean, how could Jesus be hid? <laughs> you know, the, the Bible says that there is no form or comeliness of him that we should desire him. In, in other words, there wasn't something about Jesus that would point him out and, 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 and you know, out of, a, out of a great group of people, nobody would be able to look and go, that's him. 
because he blended in. He, he was very normal looking. In fact, he was, there was nothing about his outside appearance that would scream, you know, I'm the son of God. He was very plain and very um, just like the rest of the people. And so he was very hard to pick out in a crowd. The only way you could find Jesus is find the crowd, and that's where Jesus would be because there would be a crowd always gathering him. And I find it amazing that Jesus wasn't just trying to escape this castigation, if you will, of the Pharisees. He wasn't trying to escape the heat of the moment. He was there, and he was aware of others' needs in spite of his problem that he had there at the Temple Mount. They were getting ready to stone him. Because when he said, I am, before Abraham was, I am, they knew that he was claiming deity. And anyone who is not God who makes that claim certainly is going to have a problem. And, but he was and is God, and therefore he is very qualified. But notice that as he's leaving the temple, as he passes right through the crowd, as they're picking up stones ready to, to throw at him, you know, if it were me, I would just continue walking, maybe even lighten or quicken my steps a little bit and maybe put on my you know, Nike Airs and take off and leave a blaze of dust, you know, because they're going to kill me right? And I'd be so focused about myself, my own self-preservation. But do you see that here? You don't at all. When you look at the very last few verses of chapter 8 and you look at chapter 9, as Jesus passed by, he saw the man. So as he's passing by, he's, he's not worried about his own life. He knew the Father's, he, his life was in the Father's hands. And he knew it wasn't time. Jesus wasn't panicked. And yet, in spite of all of that, Jesus continued to care about people. He wasn't just running by trying to escape. And I love that about him. And it reminds me of how I need to be, because so often I can be so busy, I can be in such a rush that I sometimes I just forget about people. Because I'm, I'm thinking about number one, right? <laughs> and newsflash, there's only one who's number one. <laughs> it's him. It's not me. It's not you. But we do. We tend to look after our own needs. But Jesus, at the threat of being killed and stoned, he's passing by and he sees a man. He's completely aware of the needs around him. The, the circumstances aren't dictating to him what he should and should not do. He's very much in control. And notice, as the, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, we inaccurately judge when we think that any sickness or malady or even a calamity that someone goes through is the direct of or the direct result of sin uh, or the consequences of sin in our lives. And, and whether that's individually or a nation, we wrongfully judge when, the, when these kind of things happen. Did, was it because he you know, stole the bubble gum out of the store when he was little? Is that why he's, he was, you know, is that why this happened to him? Or, you know, what was it, Lord? And we have to remember that this kind of thinking is very dangerous because God even allowed Job, remember, to go through an extremely difficult time and it wasn't because Job had done necessarily something wrong. We knew that Job was a sinner and, and, and God knew that, but, but God also saw a man in, in whose life this man really loved the Lord and he did all those things that pleased the Lord. There's nothing that we know of that's written in the book of Job that, that was sin, but he was a sinful man. He was born in sin, but yet 
there wasn't something that he did necessarily that caused all these calamities to come upon them. The devil challenged the Lord and says, you know what? No wonder Job's doing great because you set a hedge around him. He's your favorite. He's the, stu- he's the teacher's pet kind of thing. And, and the Lord says, is that what you think? Well, I know something about Job, Satan, that you don't know. I know this man. You don't know him like I know him because I created him. But I know him. You don't know him. You can do whatever you want to him, only don't take his life. And the devil, because he's only a destroyer, he, what did he do? He went after him. Took his family away. Took all of his possessions away. And the devil approached him again after Job didn't snap. He didn't cave in. And the devil came before the Lord again, it says in chapter 2 of Job. And God says, you know, you can touch his bone, but you can't take his life. In other words, you can afflict sickness on him, but that's the bounds that I'm giving you, Satan. You're not a... You're not an unshackled dog that you can run after anybody that you please know. You, do you notice that about the Lord and, and, and Satan? He, he doesn't have license to just run after anybody. He has to go through God. He's not a loose agent in the, in the, in the world. He has to ask for permission. And, and, and why does God allow that? Certainly to refine us, to reveal to us where we are, where we aren't, And it causes us what? To get on our knees because we're not really tested when things are going well. This man was not tested. He was born that way. He was born blind. There was nothing he could do. He wasn't being tested. The test was already on for him. In 1 Peter it says, In this you greatly rejoice... Though now for a little season, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious, notice, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These things that happen to us, and and again, we wrongfully judge them. It must be because of some sin. He's crippled because he probably did something when he was younger, and and isn't it true that when we know somebody, maybe you don't like somebody, and then later on you find out that they got into some trouble, maybe they contact, contracted a disease or have some kind of illness, or you find out they were killed in a car accident, and you knew they were just nasty. Isn't it just like our human hearts? And then we say, you know what? They got what was due them. Have you ever thought that way? Am I the only one? You know, when you hear something and all you remember is the evil that they did, and in your heart you're thinking, well, they finally got theirs, right? But see, that's so far away from God's thinking. But when we get sick or when we're diagnosed with some disease that may even take our life ultimately, what are you going to do and how are you going to respond And how are you going to respond to others around you who go through those similar things? How do we respond? It's really important that we grow up. I want to grow up, don't you? I don't want to stay as an an infant in the Lord. I want to grow, and, and I think we all do. And the good news is that most of you have known the Lord for quite a long time. And growing is something that's good. It's good for us. God wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to continue eating the Ovaltine. He wants us to go on to solid food. 
and to do better and to grow and to be fruitful and even more fruitful. Notice in verse 3, Jesus answered and he said to the disciples, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now this obviously doesn't mean that his parents and this man weren't sinless, but that this malady in the man's life was not the result of sin or some kind of sin issue. It wasn't. And yet, if we contrast this with the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, it's quite a bit different. What did it say? Bear with me here. Where did I go? Oh, I know why. It's the wrong slide. Here, bear with me for one second. I chose the uh, the wrong thing. No wonder. There we go. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry about that. Technical difficulties. But notice the man at the, at, the, at the pool of Bethesda, his whole situation was completely different. This man, there was no sin issue, even though he was a sinner. But notice what Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda, which was, and he healed this man on the Sabbath too, just like this man. And Jesus says, afterward, Jesus found the man in the temple at, the, at Bethesda, and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come Upon you, And the idea seems to be that the man at the Bethesda, that this ailment was the result of some sin in his life. That is true, it can be. And in the case that we're looking at in chapter 9 today, it is not that case. So we have to be really careful. And yet we do it, because I know that I'm not alone when I feel this way. I know that you felt the same way, and, and maybe we'll continue at some point, but I would encourage you to check yourself when we hear about these things, because we're not... We're not qualified. We're just not qualified to judge these things. I'm not qualified to understand what God is doing in someone else's life. I'm having a hard time just figuring out what he's doing in my own. That I don't need to be looking over the fence and going, well, what is he doing? Remember what Jesus said to Peter? He goes, what is that to you? Follow me. (laughs) Don't worry about John, Peter. You follow me. And I think that's wise counsel for all of us, to not look at each other and size each other up, but rather to say, you know what, Lord, I will follow you. And you're doing something private and intimate in that person's life. It looks a little different than mine. Maybe even look, maybe even challenge me. It may even be worse than my situation. It may be less. Maybe I feel like I deserve to not have to go through what I'm going through, but why do you give that same thing to that person? And it doesn't even look like they did anything to deserve it. But let me ask you, is it... Anything that we deserve? Is there anything that we deserve? Any good thing that we deserve? We know the answer to that. We don't deserve anything. And so I'm just not qualified. I'm not qualified to understand it. But sometimes it is the case. Or someone's malady, someone's sickness is the result of sin. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where it says uh, Paul speaking to the Corinthians concerning their unlawful use of communion, which we're going to take today. And this is kind of an interesting topic to bring up on communion morning. I don't want anybody to be discouraged. But back in the first century, you know, God was starting and he was very serious about why they were taking communion. But it became a drunken orgy. 
It became a, a, a time of excess, and the people who were really needy were left out of the picture, and it became just a big drug fest, or you know, they were drinking and, and everything. And, and notice what Paul says to them in chapter 11, verse 27. He says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man first examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick and among you, and some have even fallen asleep or have died because of their unworthy attitude toward communion. Again, it was was an excess. It was something that turned into something ugly instead of something that the Lord wanted it to be. And sometimes it is sin that causes illness or sickness or even death. And again, we can sometimes secretly delight and imagine evil in our hearts when we hear of someone's malady and we think they finally got theirs. But again, we are just not qualified. In Proverbs chapter 24, it says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, notice, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. We're just not qualified. Rather, the attitude is when you see somebody going through difficulty, see him going through in sickness, just pray for them. And pray that God would... Make, that, make them aware of what it is. We just, we don't know. Judge nothing before the time. Isn't that what Paul said to the Corinthians? He said, therefore, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. And when he returns, who will both bring the light, bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. And then each one's praise will come from God He is the judge. He's the righteous judge. He's the only one who is qualified. So verse 4, it says, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Notice, the night is coming when no man can work. And Jesus here is not talking about a physical day and a physical night, but rather periods or seasons of spiritual opportunity and freedom. That's why Jesus would throttle his time in Jerusalem because the more time he spent in Jerusalem, the more the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to put him to death. And he knew this. And so he carefully gauged with the Father. He carefully gauged when he would go there because he knew his time wasn't yet, but there was a time when it would come. And then he'd be all for it. He would face it, like go toward it like flint. But until then, he was very careful But he's not talking about night and physical day. We know in Romans, what does it say? It says, And do this, knowing the time, Paul says to the Romans, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. And this is really good exhortation for us as Christians in America today. Awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Notice, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. And it's not talking about day and night. It's talking about seasons of opportunity and freedom versus the opposite of those things. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But notice, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And see, that's where we as America, we need to be as Christians, especially in light of everything that's going on in the world right now. We need to understand that the day is far spent. And when the day is finally ending, the Lord's going to call us out. And we're going to see our... We're not going to be exempt from difficult times, understand that, but we're not going to go through that. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585 Five eight six three one four zero. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.